All right. All right. All right. Welcome back to yet another episode. There was a glitch in the beginning, so it sort of said, are we live? No, we're not live. Yes, we're live. So uh, if you had to wait for 10 seconds, I apologize. I'll try to cut it out. Probably won't remember, but I'll try. In the meantime, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our returning guest, Mr. William Joseph Roberts, introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers who might not have heard you on episode 200 and something. Season two, when you came on the show. I've lost track how many times I've been on this show. But hello, I am William Joseph Roberts. I write sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and anything the evil mind squirrels demand of me. And I am the uh, lead publisher at Three Ravens Publishing. Why Three Ravens? Why not four? Acquiring minds. Well, because there's three of us. There's actually three ravens. I have two partners. I I just happen to be the loud mouth. Okay. What made you pick Ravens? It's very Norse. I like it. I'm not I'm not docking it. I'm just curious. Really? Do you really got to ask that one? It's me. I, Come on. Okay. And then I'll take that as a, I was, I was right, and we'll move on. All <laughs> right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, is uh, how we found them. So I think William and I met through Seska, but it's been a while because we've been talking for years at this well, point. Now, we, no, let's see. We originally met. It was before Blasters and Blades. It's whatever the podcast was before. Sci-fi that. shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I was on that like two times before. Yeah, but and Doc was on Sci-Fi Shenanigans too. She was on season two and three of that. Okay. I don't remember. It's been We've known each other for a while now. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, it's been here. a while. So and we so don't want to think about how long, because once you get old, you just try not to think about that stuff. Doc's not here, so Hank, the... Uh, the, the hypnotoad is judging you now. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, in the middle. So we record things weird. Like we record just dear listener in the back. Like sometimes when we record things isn't when we air it. Like we have a firm publication date for his book that we're going to talk about. So we pre-recorded this in advance. And so this was recorded while Doc was in the middle of her move. So she couldn't make it on account of, I don't know if her Wi-Fi set up yet. But um, she bought herself a hundred billion story mansion because you know that's what you do when you're a chemist. You wave your hands and you make the magic happen. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's literally that big too. Just ask her. So speaking of asking, are you ready, sir, for the religion question? All right, go for it. Stargate, Eureka, or Warehouse Thirteen? Oh God. Okay. Um... Oh, that one's tough between those three. See, I, I. I... I didn't get so much into Stargate, so we'll just toss that off the side. I, I, Eureka. I love Warhouse 13 because um, Amanda Tapping, you know, if you know, you okay. know. Yeah. Um, I like the show, but I, as, as far as the series, I'm a huge Stargate fan, hence Amanda Tapping. I love the franchise. I love the possibility. I'm disappointed that they abandoned it, that they didn't um, utilize that series and that universe to its full potential. Um, there are some characters that were criminally underused in like the Stargate Atlantis. Um, and then for Eureka, though, I really like the approach to telling sci-fi with the everyman. Like that's my favorite like well, archetype. See, and I, the sheriff I love, was. I love Warehouse 13. Okay, don't get me wrong. The, the storylines were good. The little adventures and all that. It was the variety with Eureka. 
all these different things were happening and now well better than star trek here's the scientific reasoning why and it's like even though there's hand waving in there it's like it sounds really fucking good let's go with that um but it kept me entertained you know it kept me hooked in i wanted to watch the next one instead of oh okay it's another episode sure yeah, and I I really liked that it had that sheriff who was wasn't good at any of the stuff. I mean, I'm not saying he was stupid, but he wasn't a scientist, and so it gave you access to the the world of science. But if he got it wrong, well, he's an unreliable reporter or unreliable narrator, right? So if, if it's wrong, well, he just didn't know any better, yeah, right. And so you get to get out of jail free when you get the uh, the people that are going to look at you. I'm like, ah, excuse me, sir, that is not how quantum physics works. You know, the ones that want to. Get up and arm. They can't just enjoy the moment. Like I, I get it. I do that about military stuff, right? But dude, I same thing, especially with aircraft and shit. Yeah. So I mean, I get it. But you, when, when you want to avoid that, those pitfalls, his type of character is perfect for that. Because well, I know, of course, dear listener, dear reader, I know that that was wrong, and you know that was wrong. Wink, wink. But he didn't, and then you can just like wave your hands and get rid of all of it. Yeah. Because you you basically pass the blame like a true NCO would. You pass the buck. Now, see with Stargate, Stargate and Stargate Atlantis. I was overseas for the start of it, and just I never got a chance to get into it. So it, okay. it ended up finishing before I even really even knew it was there. Okay. So, um, yeah, I really liked, I watched the, uh, the original movie in the theaters and I remember when I was watching thinking this is going to be a, a big franchise. Now I probably said that about a bunch of movies that never became anything. So I'm not saying it was like I was predicting the future, but I mean, it was obvious there was something there from the first movie, which I thought was cool. So I, I I've been a fan since the beginning. Um, but, uh, because we're polytheistic, uh, the next one, The Witcher, Shadow and Bone, or The Magicians? Oh, um, Magicians. Okay, that's a good choice. That is on um, my to-watch list, and I want to read the books, too. I'm, t- I'm told they're pretty well, good. I haven't, I haven't got to watch, read the books. The series was good. It got a little funky there towards the last season, but overall, the, the entire series just hooked us, kept us watching, and you know we wanted more. The Witcher... I didn't get past two episodes, honestly. I was bored and confused. Yes, that's why I stopped. Um, um, the well, non-linear... I, I don't even know what the other one was. The non... Um, Shadow and Bone? Yeah, I've not even heard of that one, so... Okay. The um, the Witcher, the non-linear storytelling just confused me. It was hard to follow what was going on. And then the shaky cam Blair Witch Project effect, just, I'm just like, nope. I, yeah, I didn't make it past the second episode. There might be a lot of people liking it, but it's like, okay, yeah, I got better things to do than get a headache. Yeah, and like I've watched some of the scenes where, like, you know, this person is analyzing their swordcraft or this person, you know, like where they've broken down and they've showed segments. And what I saw, I liked, but not enough to say I'm going to like spend the investment to try to figure out what the hell's going on to get in the beginning, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of where I am. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens because they fired the main act. Well, I don't know if they fired is the right word. They picked a new actor to play the Witcher. So when you change actors mid-series, sometimes that can have um, unintended consequences. Yeah, you lose for the like way a story. Your viewership. Yeah. So since you since you can see it on the camera, what uh, what are you drinking tonight for the readers oh. and listeners at home? Oh. Okay, so this is a little something special that I made up just for Steve Jackson. Um, hold on. 
of of GURP fame? Yes. Well, that didn't work. Hold on. Um, Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games. I made a special batch of my honeymead. It looks good. There nice go. color. You can see the color. It pulled through the raspberry coloring. You really can't see that that garnet red to it. The flavor, though, I'm really surprised at how well that the uh, the raspberries pulled through. And it's not overpowering. It's like you get you get the the little bit of raspberry at the start, then you get that clover in there from the honey, and then it finishes out with the raspberry on the back end. It's just it's nice, it's smooth, it just kind of lingers, but it's not like smacky in the face or anything. I um I got me uh mead once at the local like winery and I didn't like it. It tasted too dry, almost like a, a wine would like some of those dry. If you go to most meaderies or any um wineries, if they do have mead, but usually they're like got their nose up in the air at anything called mead, um, they'll come out with dry stuff. I make sweet mead, I make sack meads. So my standard is four pounds or oh, there it is, uh four pounds of honey per gallon. Is my standard, and I use a champagne yeast, so I'm getting 40 proof hooch on a ferment. Nice. Um, and then, depending on what I'm doing, I may add in fruit on on primary fermentation, or I might add it after the fact just to pull in flavors because I'm not using it actually for for uh, the fermenting sugar. So it it depends on what you're doing with it. This this so, is um, I started this back in November of last year. Nice. Yeah. So it's been aging, so, it's clarified a bit. We talked last time you were on, and you told me that it doesn't count. Like, I have to go to a, a meadery and try it there because you said, much like beer, there's different kinds, and you know, you might not like everything, but you'll find stuff you do. So, it's been on my list that we have the Black Snake Meadery, I think, in the Appalachians, um, in Virginia, okay. that I've been uh, meaning to drive up and check out. It's near the Ray Caverns, I'm pretty sure. How close are you to Roanoke? That's uh, about a two hour drive. My aunt lives there. Okay, well, there's there's like two or three meteries there, plus all the uh, craft breweries that they got around there now. Nice. Um, it, you know, you, you could easily do a pub crawl down there and hit up all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. She lives out in Salem, I think, which is like one of the small towns just outside of Roanoke. Okay. So, but uh, but yeah, so we will have to check that out. And um, it's on my list of things to try. I've been curious about it since I watched The 13th Warrior. Um. Well, it, it's literally stupid easy. You need a milk jug, a balloon, and a rubber band. That's the only gear that you need. Then you need it's, honey, water, yeast. That's it. It's on my list to try, but I, before I spend the money to invest in making, because that's a lot of honey you're using, uh, I want to know if I if I like the finished product. So no, no, that's fair. But uh, so are, if you have your dream and you buy your homestead, are you going to raise bees just for your mead? Well, see, we had bees. We had three active hives. We were pulling it. Oh God. I, we pulled like 70 pounds of honey off, off of them one year. Um, and well, I'm, aller I'm allergic to bees. Um, I'm well, technically I'm allergic to yellow jackets, or at least that's what I thought. Cause that's growing up. I was always allergic to yellow jackets. You know, I get hit by a honeybee or a wasp or something and get the knot and then they go away. Um, a couple of years ago, I got hit by a red wasp in the hand while I was out there cutting the grass and I went into full anaphylaxis. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, no, no. Um, so I went and I got my allergy testing and everything. And lo and behold, the thing that's going to kill me the fastest is a honeybee. We had three active hives that, you know, when the guy that was actually doing the work in the hive had it opened up and he's pulling frames out. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can see the queen right there. You know, I'm 10 feet away to this open hive and just chilling. 
So and, you literally uh, stared death in the face. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, it was it's so cool to watch and it's so peaceful. I mean, even even if you're just standing outside of the closed up hive and certain parts of the day when it gets too warm, they'll start to to beard out onto the the porch of the the hive and everything. And so you get this big ball of bees and just watching them moving around and just hearing it. And um, you know, one one thing with ADHD, there's certain tones that that frequency will just kind of ease you out, you know? And for some reason, man, just sitting there watching them bees 10 foot away or something, and you can just hear them all buzzing. It's just like, it's peaceful. Even though yeah. that's certain freaking death if I walk over there and touch them. But um, yeah, so we, we ended up getting rid of the hives. Um, buddy of mine, well, the one that was opening them up and everything, he took them down towards Atlanta to a, uh, I think it was a blueberry farm that they were backed up against, but we had all this bridge construction going on out here, had to move the garden into the back. So then the bees had to be moved. And it's yeah. <laughs> but yes, if I could, I would absolutely have hives as long as somebody could get in there and get to them to make my own mead. Cause we've done that. And the mead, Oh my God, it tastes so much different than store-bought, even though the stuff that we do buy, it's uh lightly filtered. There's still a difference in flavor. Yeah. Especially when you're getting the local stuff. We get local, we get it raw. Because if you uh, if you have allergies, dear listener, uh, yeah. a spoonful of local honey a day will help your body adjust to the local allergens. Has to be locally sourced though, because it's something about the honey being or in the, the link to whatever. Yeah, the pollen or whatever. If you're buying local honey from these beekeepers, they're not filtering out anything other than the largest chunks, you know, chunks of yeah dead bees or parts of comb and things like that. So they actually put a little bit of the cone in there in, to stabilize the jars. Yeah. But so, you, yeah. you'll have you'll have pollen in there that's, that exposes you to it. And that, they say it works. That's why the Vikings were so uh, so intimidating that from, you know, it's been a while since I've been in a history college class, but was that the honey kept them healthy because it also has antibacterial properties. Oh, it's got antibacterial and a viral and a fungal. Right. So honest, Doc, it's uh, it's medicine, not booze that I were drinking. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if my I wonder if my primary care doc. He was a former infantry sergeant who went to med school or went to college, and then med school, and then became an army surgeon. Uh, he's been giving me the lecture about you know straightening up and flying right, and I'm trying to convince him that coffee counts as water consumption. He's not buying it. Well, you know, I, I'd try to sell that one too because I I like my coffee, man. Yeah, he, he gave me excited to do blood work recently, and he gave me a call, and he's like, JR, um, I just want you to know that I had a caffeine buzz just from being near the lab that tested your freaking pee, because <laughs> uh, you drink too much of it and not enough water. And his inner drill sergeant came back out, because like I said, he'd been enlisted first, and so his bedside manner with other um, combat arms guys is uh, not what we would say would be warm and fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he started doing the, the you know, I, I can just picture the knife hand coming out. <laughs> but yeah, so I got to, I've been making myself drink more water, but I'm like, oh, that pot of coffee, it just looks so good. So I wonder if, have you heard of the coffee that they did where they sent the beans up into space? No. Uh, and you, they, they did some sort of experiment to see if that would change the flavor. And now I'm just like, I want Elon Musk to hurry up and open the Mars colony so I can have like, co like coffee grown on the alien world, even if it's just in a greenhouse. Like I'm, I'm ready to try all the, the coffee possibilities. Well, what, what what would change that? I, 
I mean, think about this. Okay, so pizza in New York is different than pizza anywhere else. That's why they call it the New York crust or whatever. It's because the water that they use to make the yeast and to make the bread. Well, that's fair because like any whiskeys, you know, any good alcohol, the, the flavoring backing it is based on the spring water that they use. So, you know, I assume that there's going to be some variants of coffee. Um, I, I worked my way through grad school as a, as a black apron coffee master for Starbucks. And after I, I did that, I worked for some private, like smaller companies too, like some small uh, coffee shops. And so like, I, I've tasted a lot. So you do a lot of the training on the, like the science behind it. I forgot most of the science. I just remember there's a lot of variants and I like coffee. <laughs> if you can't, uh, hear colors and see sounds, you're not doing it right. So, um, in, in, in my first novel flux runners there's a cult called the java crucians i like them already can i join um well yeah i i'm that novel happens to be um most everybody in it's tuckerized just because so you might get <laughs> tuckerized into that as a new cult later i i, I dig it I, i'm i'm all about the coffee um but yeah it's one of those things i'd like to uh like to get into but anyway uh, if you've noticed, dear listener, we're, we're trying out Nick's uh, Nick's suggestion. He's he's not here because the Border Patrol has him doing Border patrol things. I'm sure he's like, I don't know, tickling Elmo or something. I don't know what they do over there. <laughs> um, but but we are trying to be a little bit more off the cuff and a little less scripted. You know, the script is the crutch that we fall onto when we need to. But well, uh, for people... Hold on, hold on. I got something for you. Off, off, off the cuff. Okay. Explain this monstrosity. <laughs> all right so it started this way do you know who mal cooper is oh, yeah of course i do so she was putting out the pew pew uh, sci-fi comedy stuff and i'd never written comedy but she invited me to write a story for her so i wrote the two first two thousand words which was basically grunt humor and i sent it to her and i said i don't want to waste time writing this if this isn't going to be you know what you're looking for and she was like can you make it less crude and take the barracks out of it? And I'm like, well, then you're taking me out of it. So no, but I appreciate the offer. And, you know, I pimped it for when the, uh, the collection went live, but then I couldn't get the story out of my head. So I finished it and I sent it to an editor and they're like, this is just like barracks humor without a plot. Like the plot is kind of there, but you really need to fix it. And so I was talking with my buddy, Chris Winder. And I was like, Hey, do you think you could do a write over where you tone down the barracks humor and tone up the plot just a little bit. I mean, for for like the um, the Amazon space warriors that they're fighting had tart teams, T-A-R-T, yep. uh, which is also a term for a lady of um, loose virtue. It's an old word. Yep. So like I played up all the all the tropes like just for the fun of it. Bucky for rank had a completely different meaning. Uh, but it was so hard to write because every like line had to have double and triple meaning. Cause that's just, you know, that's humor that it was like, I spent more time to write that 30,000 words than I have to write whole novels. And I'm like, I, yeah, I giggle snorted through half of the thing. Yeah. I had so much fun writing it, but like, let's face it. Like I got a mortgage to pay and that is not the, the way to do it. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I laughed through it, but at the same time, I'm like, what in the hell am I reading? <laughs> just the twisted mind of a former Marine and a former grunt in the army. <laughs> that uh that said you know we could make this better uh so when we when when uh winder went his separate way and he started public because he he did like oh, i think a million ghost words one in six months like he, he's a writing beast when he writes fast Damn. and he found his voice and it was too different from mine for us to keep writing together so we realized we can either butt heads a lot and keep writing together or just part as friends 
uh, and stay friends because we still talk all the time, um, but amicably. And so we split the different universes up. So like that, that profit still gets split between us. But in theory, he owns the universe. So if he wanted to write more in it, he could. Um, but basically space Mormons and space Amish and space um, Amazon warriors kind of duke it out against space Marines and hilarity ensues. With lots of innuendo. With lots of innuendo. It was lots. worse. Lots. The, the, the smutty humor was worse in the first draft. <laughs> um, and uh, the Vacuum Sucks Hard title actually wasn't ours. It was a joke from the cover artist, and it was what he called his, um, his like, the art that you see on there was his stock art that he put together for fun. And I'm like, if we buy it, can I have that title? And he's like, Okay, so the the subtitle, uh, the original title became the subtitle, Adventures of the USS Big Stick. Oh, okay. Which is a, a, a paraphrasing of Teddy Roosevelt, walk softly but carry a big stick. Right. There you go, no glare. Yeah, I am very proud of that work, though. I had a lot of fun writing it. I, I don't. It doesn't get nearly enough traction. Like, it is what it is. But I, it's one of those, every author, when they first start out, has those weird eclectic things. They just have to get out of their, their system. Right. That's flux runners for me. Yeah, that's that was mine. I, I had to get it out. So, all right. So let's get, let's uh, back on track. We're being a little more off the cuff. But um, what was your first love? Was it sci-fi or fantasy? Oh God, it's it's sword and sorcery fantasy. I, growing up in Southern West Virginia, most of what I could get a hold of, if it wasn't some kind of Christian whatever, it was the classics. You know, so I, I got to read Mutiny on the Bounty, um, Oliver Twist, all that kind of stuff. Um, always did love Swiss Family Robinson and, and Robinson Crusoe. But that one time that I found a Conan novel in the library. Oh. And it's like, oh, ooh, it's this. And I was hooked. And from there on, anything that I could find Robert Howard, I was grabbing up and I really didn't get a lot of exposure to it because Southern West Virginia, we're smack dab in the Bible Belt. Anything to do with devils and magic and all that, you know. So um, when I got out in the military, though, that was different because then I started gathering it up and reading everything I could get a hold of. Um, and my first novel, which I still got to go back and finish now, um, it's it's a fantasy series. Um, that one. That, that, that one is a lesson of don't be so paranoid that you uh, you password protect the read and the write on the files with a thumbprint scanner and forget the passwords and the equipment fails eventually uh, because then you can't access your files for 20 freaking years. Have uh, you fixed that already? Yep, we managed to recover the files. I've got 65,000 words of the original that I can nice. go back and uh, clean it up and roll now. That's um, that's fun, and it's um. I talked to uh, author we know Terry Mixon wrote with Glenn Stewart uh, a series of like trilogy, vigilante trilogy or quadrology. I don't remember, but he had written that one at nineteen, and he didn't have time to go back to it, so he wanted a co-author to come basically like turn it into a proper series. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things they said. It felt like he was writing that novel with with Terry, with Glenn, and then with nineteen-year-old Glenn. You're going to have that same experience, I think, as you edit. It's going to be written by William Joseph Roberts and William Joseph Roberts the Kid. Yeah. So it'll it'll be an interesting experience for your readers. Oh, the the voice is absolutely different, but yo, know, I started working on that in two thousand two thousand one, 
and the bits and pieces of it started forming well before then just out of gaming and all that because i was already starting to create my own little universe to play in right so characters and places and things like that were getting developed back in the 90s nice nice so what is it about the genre of speculative fiction which includes all like this the umbrella term speculative fiction that you love enough that you, you've made this your career i like to go on adventures i mean that, that that's really what it comes down to i like to go on adventures shut up dog so does your dog um do what so does the dog apparently he's chiming in he's agreeing with you yeah i don't know where they're going they're going to bark at something um I I don't know. I've I've got a wide range that I I enjoy between sci-fi and fantasy. I love post-apoc, but at the same time, I love a good space opera. And you know, everything appeals differently, and it feeds those little evil mind squirrels. Um, but it, it all comes back down to just being able to enjoy the adventure. Show me something new. Show me something different. Yeah. So how did you transition from that, from telling the stories on your own to deciding to like actually just to make a go of selling them? Um, honestly, Liberty Con. Okay. So you were uh, first, you first went as a, as a reader, consumer, fan? No. Um, so, you know, I, I started, I started my author journey back in like grade school, junior high, writing short stories, this and that. Never knew what to do with them. Nobody knew how to do anything with them. Uh, why I didn't ever think to just grab the address out of the back of a book and send something to a publisher, I don't know. But um, it really came down to my first con ever, which was Liberty Con, uh, Liberty Con 30, uh, back in 2017. Uh, Michael Gantz had told me about the convention. I'd been part of the Chattanooga Writers Guild for years before that. And I never knew that conventions were a thing. Um, I've, I've never been a, a true fan of anything, I guess. Um, I'm not the, the fanboy that's going to go squealing and, you know, grab it onto somebody or got to have this and, you know, got to have the latest iPhone or whatever the hell. Um, so the concept of going to a con to go see people, it's just like, okay, well, I can just watch them on TV or, you know, I've always got something I'm, I'm doing. So, um, but when he told me about Liberty Con, he told me about how it is a convention about the craft and the business of the craft. And that's what I really didn't know. And I was, I, I've been trying to learn that for years because I had all these story ideas. I knew how to come up with ideas and plots, but how to actually apply them or what to do with them afterward, I had no clue. Um, so I went to that first convention and it was honestly Charity Ayer's little writing workshop that she put on that flipped my switch. And she gave me permission this perfect stranger, you know, we did did a little 15-minute writing session. I wrote a scene, and we read, read them out loud and all that. And her reaction to that little bit that I wrote in that 15 minutes is all I needed to flip that switch in the back of my head, and that gave me permission 
to press on and do what needed done to, to get the next story done. I walked out of there with an invitation to an anthology and that was my first published piece. Um, was it uh, when Vulcans cry in the toys or Shada toys anthology. But, um, I learned a lot at that convention about how to go about the craft, the first bits of writing to market, um, the business of trying to get your stuff out there and the options available, stuff like that. Um, so what was the question again? <laughs> Squirrels. Squirrel. Well, you, you answered it. So basically, um, You've always been a storyteller, summing it up for people, but dealing with um, the people at Liberty Con convinced you that, you know, there was there was a there there for you. But I, I wanted to get the stuff out there. Being a writer has always been a dream. And and to get to, to set and play with these stories, and I get to go play with my friends when I'm writing. I get to go on adventures yeah. with my friends. And... You know, to me, that that is the ultimate dream right there—to do something that you you love, the the passion of doing something that you love and being able to do it for a living—that has been a, a goal for since high school. And uh, you know, just in the last couple of years, I figured out how I can go about doing it. So that's what I've been doing. Okay, so many authors will let their real life experiences influence the stories they tell. But were there any specific um, moments, the formidable moments you think that shaped you as a storyteller? Um, realism. I mean, I generally don't like superhero characters, the ones that they can just go, 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 go and never really get hurt or anything like that. I like the average Joe. I like to see my characters struggle to get to the goal, even if they get hurt, even if they get seriously screwed up. And I usually screw them up. I love damaging characters, um, but I make them work for it. They'll get the goal, but they're going to work for it all the way through. Um, Okay, so you like the everyman. I, I, I love that too. Like the, the possibilities are just... Well, that's one reason I like post-APOC because there's so many possibilities and you have to come up with creative ways to make things happen now. You know, you, you get an entire society that's so used to the luxuries of power and running water. Well, what do you do after the fact? Now what are you going to do? How are you going to survive? Do you know what you can do to filter or do you know what things are you know there there's enough food in my yard that we we can eat we'll eat fine just out of the weeds in the yard we may not be happy with it but we'll survive people don't realize when it comes to like that kind of scenario like when okay so if you're religious when they bought the first gift to, to the son of god jesus if you're religious of, of a christian faith what did they bring him? They brought him seasonings because that used to be so valuable because otherwise food was bland and boring. I mean, look at like they, they had almost as much of an armed guard on the King of England back in the medieval times on his chef's like box of spices as they did on the Royal treasury. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's the one thing that people don't realize if you don't grow it yourself, exactly how much cooking is going to change for you without spices. Oh, well, not even cooking. I mean, how many people actually know how to survive on what's growing nearby? No, people don't. But yeah, so it's, it's an interesting concept that a lot of people ignore or, or the consequences of when the grid goes down and power fails. Like most people don't realize that live out in the Sahara area that a lot of that gets reclaimed by nature if you don't have the Hoover Dam fully functioning to supply yeah. power uh, and to keep like having so many people there has put moisture in the air um, just through the normal breathing and, and uh, releasing bodily fluids has to, to create an atmosphere that wouldn't otherwise there. And if you take that away, you go back to the dust bowl kind yeah. of approach. And so it starts, things start getting a little bit wonky when you turn power off. I think the history channel did life after people. If you like post talk, yeah, it's yeah. really worth watching and see what happens. Yeah, that, that was good. And, you know, I, I've, I've kind of applied that in just about everything I've written so far, you know, flux runners, especially because the scenario I put them in, they, they have to survive. It, it's, it's not post-APOC, but it's a similar situation where, like, <laughs> we're screwed. Um, what are we going to do? You know? Um, there was a um, a show. It's like The Colony, it was called. And they did, like, two, maybe three seasons of it. And basically the idea is they got a bunch of volunteers and they stuck them in um, an area of Los Angeles. This basically the world ends and this is them trying to survive. Okay. Um, the survive the destruction of society. And they, one of the things they talked about is, like, canned goods, most are or uh, two to five year shelf life. If you stretch it and you're willing to ignore the FDA, maybe 10 years. Gasoline ages pretty quickly. I think you get one to two years on that. And so most of what people show, like Mad Max, who's refining that oil for them? I don't know. Well, but, yeah, you know what I mean? If they've converted over to an all fuel, you can process any type of oil. But so but that's cool. the stuff nobody ever thinks about. True. It is, is what you think about is modern. Like It's not like you just go to the grocery store and get it. And the grocery store will either be emptied or everything will be spoiled within yep. a couple of days. And so, you know, it, uh, 28 days later, that one, that did good on that. Uh, it was it they hit. That's the, the zombie uh, one, right? Yeah. They hit the grocery store and it's like all the fruit and everything's rotten except for the irradiated apples. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they'll give you superpowers. Just eat them. You can become a mutant too. Um <laughs> I mean, it worked for Spider-Man, right? He got bit by a radiated bug. So you mentioned that you served in the Air Force before we go to the commercial break. I thought we'd talk about that a little bit. So how do you feel like your time in the U.S. Air Force affects the ways you tell stories? Oh, it goes back to that bringing realism into things. Um, you know, military members fuck with each other. That's just cut and dry. And if anybody is like, oh, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. We will we will destroy each other mercilessly every opportunity we get if we like each other. If you're yeah. not being picked on, then you're not liked. And that, that translates out to the, the civilian side when you get out, too, because uh, some of the coworkers I've had with the, in the engineering where I work now, um, they don't understand me and one of my coworkers humor because he, he's an ex-marine we we were both actually over in okinawa at the same time which is funny as hell um and we'll just be going back and forth and they're like what is wrong with you guys you have no idea <laughs> but you know the camaraderie and you know that that's that's one thing that i bring into a lot of my stuff too is 
found family. Yeah. Um, Chosen family, yeah. Because, you know, I got lots of blood family, but I got a lot of found family, acquired family that uh, I can call up and they'll bring the shovel, no question. So one thing you realize in the military, especially if you're a combat veteran, is, is you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you served with them for X number of days. You didn't really know them very well. But when you experience danger with someone, there are implied promises to each other. And those promises are eternal. I don't uh, think yeah. they ever really go away. Um, and so that kind of thing most people ignore. Like that was my biggest complaint with some of the popular sci-fi series, military sci-fi series uh, of the last couple of years is like, it was like, okay, we go here, we shoot the bad guys, people die, rinse and repeat, and there were no consequences. And I'm like, like when you shoot people, it, it changes you, it changes things. And if it doesn't, you're a sociopath. Yeah. And that's a different plot point, but you better at least address it, like pay lip service, you know? Well, that, and you know, I do like playing with PTSD in my stories. Uh, but again, I like to fuck with my characters. I, I, you know, when we're gaming, I don't like collecting character sheets. I like to give my characters psychosis. <laughs> so they, they get mental screw-ups. They get maimed. They lose body parts, things like that. But I found that more interesting than just killing characters. Um, and But that goes back to, you know, yeah, I was Air Force. I worked on the flight line, turning wrenches on F-15s. I never saw frontline combat like some of these boys and girls. We had worse we had were snipers taking pot shots at us. But I've got my own PTSDs. It gets too loud and too much motion going on. I got to find a wall. I got to back up and take, take account of everything around me to see where everything's at. Because otherwise I'm going to freak out. And I don't know where that comes from because I never had frontline duty. So, you know, I, I try to bring that kind of reality into it too. Um, you know, first responders, cops, um, firefighters, EMTs, and the stuff that they see, if you ain't never seen a dead body up close, <laughs> you, you know, it changes your perspective. And it, really, experience comes, it, perspective is driven by your experiences. Yeah. So speaking of drawing from your experience, do you ever draw from people that you served with in the military for characters, either as, as templates for archetypes or as oh, yeah. direct tuckerization? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't even remember who said it. Um, might've been, might've been Hubbard or, or Heinlein in one of their essays, but there's nothing wrong with pulling characters from people you know because you know them um you know their eccentricities you know their actions reactions their mannerisms how they're going to speak or react to a certain situation you got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen there so it gives you a better opportunity to write them more realistically instead yeah. of being a cardboard character like Oh, look at me. I'm doing this. No, you know exactly what this guy's going to do. And if he's sitting there doing the knife hand at you, you know, but you, you know, those characters, you know what they're going to do. I, I get that. So that's one of the things I was thinking about, you know, as you were talking with the military's example of how you give each other crap. Like I, there's some veterans that I know through the PTSD group I'm in. And some of them are older than me because when you see the right amount of um, kinetic activity, they put you in, the more elevated PTSD groups. 
Um, because not everyone's combat experiences is the same. I don't say that to judge. It's just statement of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when and where you deploy and what your job was makes a huge difference on your experience as well. When when all you have to go on is your own experience, though, it's still traumatic. So I take nothing away from people. But one of the guys that's in that group's an old nom vet. And normally he's really crusty and he's giving me knowing to shit. And I, I return the favor. And one of the times he came in and he was nice to me. And I'm like, holy fuck, is he mad at me? because <laughs> he was being polite and it turns out he was just distracted but i mean that's just the way you know people that it's almost like if you've ever played sports the way you interact with your teammates it's the same mentality yeah oh you yeah know? absolutely and you know okay so i'll go back to a one one essay um i really i don't even remember the name of the freaking essay uh l ron hubbard did this one about this the story he wrote about a coast guard cutter he couldn't sell the freaking thing, no matter what he did. And this is back in the 30s. And uh, what he'd done is he went down to the docks. He talked to the captain of the ship. He talked to the crew. They took him out on the boat. He got to learn how they operated and what things happened. And he was able to sell it as an, a, a sailing adventure because he'd learned these things and put those details into the book. Yeah. So if you're going to write... Mill fiction, mill fantasy, historical fiction, things like that. Well, to a point. I mean, we, we only have so much history when it comes down to our veterans. Go down to the VFWs. Go down to the retirement homes. Go go seek these people out. You know, if you're a civvy and you're trying to write mill sci-fi or you're trying to write anything military, go talk to the guys that were there and absorb as much as you can. And you'll start seeing in their little groups, if you're at the VFW, oh, they're going to be giving each other shit all the time. They're going to be back and forth. doesn't matter what branch they were in. But you can learn a lot by people watching. Yeah. How they act, interact, and react with each other in the environment. So um, the uh, so we tend to focus our, our podcast for listeners who aren't authors. But I will say um, – and if nothing else, it gives you a greater appreciation for what people have done for you and in your name. Uh, if you want to learn about the military, it, it's designed for authors, but it would work for anyone that's just curious. William Frisbee Jr. wrote a book, um, Space Infantry, I think it's called. But it's a, he basically took all the different field manuals and he put all that information into one place and sort of speculated on what future war might be. So it's it's as much future war speculation as it is an actual like how to be an author type book. It's really worth reading. William Frisbee Jr. wrote it. Um, I'm biased. I did some of the beta reading for him on that one. He's a former Marine. Don't hold it against him. Um, And so that's a a good resource. And then if you're looking to to hear about experiences from veterans, the Library of Congress, and I can't remember what it's called, but they will record veteran stories of of, as the veterans are aging out where they talk about their experiences in the war. There's a criteria they use to verify. Like they don't just want Bob's from down the street to say, oh, this is what it was like. Like you have to do your due diligence to prove that he served, where he served, what his job was. So there's as much certainty as possible that he is what he purports to be or she. Um, And so those are in the Library of Congress and you as an American citizen at least have access to that. Mm -hmm. And some of those videos are worth watching. And then if you really want to know, you know, I don't always agree with all the business practices, but Black Rifle Coffee uh, has been doing a series of those on their YouTube channel. Um, about interviews with like a lot of World War II veterans. And then there's another guy that does similar like memories of World War II 
that he's doing um, where he'll talk to these veterans and about their experiences. And it's not just American veterans. They've interviewed some Germans and some Japanese soldiers that had served and, you know, every, like basically all the countries, if they can find them and they're willing to talk and they can get a translator, they're doing the thing. So I, if nothing else, just the history nerd in me loves it, but it's definitely worth checking out if you want to better appreciate the mill sci-fi you're reading. Yeah. So uh, transitioning away from the writing side, uh, let's talk about things from a fan angle. You were a guest of the show. Uh, you've been on a few of our fireside chats, but you were a guest of the show to talk about your book, Flux Capacity, Flux Runner? Flux Runner. Flux Runner. Uh, yeah. On episode 142. So that was back in season two. Um, so have you had any cool fan interactions since our last visit that it make a good story? Um, oh, God. Um Yeah, people hate a couple of the characters. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, I've actually talked to a couple of fans of the series at conventions and through Messenger and stuff like that. Um, the characters, well, okay, the basis for Flux Runners, one, I had to write that to get it out of my system before I could write anything serious. Um, it's like Firefly cranked up to 11 where I took all the characters i based them on people that i know i took that base one or two personality traits cranked that up to 11 for each of those people so they're extra annoying um but you know when shit hits the fan they're taking out whatever's coming after them because they're a family um and i i've got so many comments about i know that person i know know who this is they they work with me and you know this 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 and that because I just use people. Um, there, there's a few characters that people absolutely hate. Cheesy's one of them, just because she's so random and chaotic, and and they drive her, or that she drives them nuts because of the chaos. Um, but Captain Doug and um, who was it? Captain Doug and Wes were the two top characters that people love. Uh, Trey and Fergus were next in line, I think it was. Just because they, they work well together. They they are the gruesome twosome. Shit hits a fan. They can get things done. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's sci-fi space opera comedy. Nice, nice. So speaking of um, your book, Flux Runner, you've written more than just that. So uh, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Oh, God. Um, okay, so I'm now up to five novels. So Flux Runners, uh, JTF 13, Widowmakers, which was the first novel in the Widowmaker series. Um, Wildcat, Foreclosure of a Dream in the Fallen World universe. And then I was co-author on um, Smuggler's Run with Christopher Woods, which is part of the uh, Salvage universe uh, that Kevin Steverson has. And now I have Burning Roads, book one of the dead man's run series part of the car warriors auto duel chronicles uh, based on car wars by steve jackson games and then after that i've got like 35 36 anthologies i'm in because you know sleep who needs to sleep yeah exactly i don't need to, i need more coffee me too. I'll take that, Doc. I hope he doesn't listen to my podcast. If he, if you do, I'm seriously drinking water. Wink, wink. All right. We're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. 
Do you like your science fiction with a little bit of naughty and a good helping of comedy? Then pick up your copy of Flux Runners by William Joseph Roberts and join the crew of the Betty in their adventure into the dark unknown. Flux Runners is available through Three Ravens Publishing on Amazon in ebook, paperback, hardback, and on Audible, narrated by Brian Stansberry. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. I'm going to have to get you guys to uh, re-record a louder version of that. They did an upgrade on uh, on Steam Yards or Stream Yards, and uh, some of my commercials are now too soft for some reason. <laughs> or maybe my hearing's getting worse. Also possible. Um, you know, they they call it. Uh, you know, when you when you get too close to loud, boomy things, sometimes it's just not good for your your hearing. Oh, it's not like we don't already have that evil ringing in our oh tinnitus tinnitus however you say that that is the worst that, uh, at a certain it, point in time, the point now that I'm, I'm waking up at night just because it's ringing and screaming in my ear yeah and when you take the test like and you're in the silence like did i hear it or am i hearing the ringing in my ears you know what i'm just going to click the button anyway on the sound booth <laughs> and every veteran that's ever sat in that ear uh, hearing test knows exactly what i'm talking about yeah like, eh. Anyway, so uh, thank you for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sponsoring this episode, William. But uh, let's talk about the book that bought it, brought us here. Uh, so it is Burning Roads, which is the first book in the Dead Man's Road series. Dead so Man's can, Dead Man's Run. So can you tell us, um, uh, like, what's the premise? Well, first off, tell us about the universe and then the premise for the novel. Okay, so the universe that we're playing in is Car Wars. Uh, Steve Jackson Games originally released it in 1982, I think it was. Um, what was it? Um, you know, it, it started out as an RPG series. So the, the basic premise was tabletop car combat with an RPG element to it. So you're, you're doing all these missions and all this and that. Um, the world fell apart. You know, where it's a light post-apocalyptic, light cyberpunk, and generally the world is taking place 50 years past today is when Car Wars is happening. So we have 40 years worth of content and canon that we got to play with, which is awesome. Um, we, well mainly me, but a couple of the other authors have already dug into, I forgot how many gigs worth of PDFs that, that Steve Jackson's people supplied to us. Um, and trying to do just fan service while at the same time, you know, the reality is we're writing the Saturday morning cartoon to sell the sixth edition, which is the, the new toy. Um, if you want to get down to that analogy. Um, oh crap, that's too big. Um, what was it last year at Dragon Con? It there was an absolutely zero plan on this to start with. It just I, I was going down to Dragon Con to hang out with Steve Jackson, play some games, have some fun, and relax. Well, before the weekend was out, we started talking business and. I think it was just a random question. It's like, hey, out of all your stuff, what do you think would turn into good fiction? And he's like, Car Wars. Okay. 
Um, so lo and behold, by November, we had a licensing contract with Steve Jackson games. That, that's freaking cool. Um, but no, they, they, they had a green blight in the universe, had a little mini war society collapses and you basically have mega cities get created. Uh, not quite to the point of judge dread, but close. You have a wasteland between cities but the roads are still passable and the different cities maintain the stretches and all that kind of thing. Um, and what came to pass was basically the death games became the bread and circus. As long as the people are watching TV, spending their money, they're not causing problems. We're good. And that's the way that the entire universe kept rolling up. So the death games, especially the auto duels, um, became the mainstay um, and auto duels take NASCAR WWE America's Got Talent throw some guns in the middle of it and go and you have one hell of a show of things blowing up and action and fast-paced um, so is the is the only content out besides the books you guys are going to be writing in this universe? Is it all just RPG content? Uh, no, there's a little bit other stuff. We're following in the footsteps of Marvel, Tor, and uh, TSR. Um, there's a lot of RPG content, and I think most of it's still available over on Steve Jackson Games. Um, like I said, the latest edition is the sixth edition, which is there is no RPG element to it. It's all just tabletop combat, which is still cool because you can sit down and about two hours you can play around as long as you don't have too big a build on it. Um, original content, which was not counted as canon, um, there were three novels done. Uh, hold on. So, book one of the original fiction, published by TSR, written by David Drake. Nice. Not a bad story. Um, was that TSR or was that... Or, um, I'm sorry, Tor. Tor, okay. Yeah, th this one was published by Tor. Um, it's a sexy cover. The bad thing was, of the three books that Tor put out, not one of them looks the same. There is no series link at all. So does Tor still own those, or are they part of the IP that you now own? The uh, right as far as I know, these have been turned back to Steve Jackson as Steve Jackson property. Uh, that, that's you know part of the IP contract, but um, this is not counted as canon. Um, Was that a decision just to, to make your job easier? That was a good story, but it's not Car Wars, if that makes sense. Okay. So it didn't fit what you guys, what you envisioned the universe being. Right. And, you know, there was TSR put out a series of choose your own adventure type books. Right. Um, and then Marvel did a comic series of Car Warriors back in the late 80s, early 90s, I think it was. Um. So, you know, we're, we're following in some pretty big footsteps with this series. 
Um, other than that, there were some short stories done and published in Auto Duel Quarterly and um, what was it? One of, one of the other Steve Jackson publications back in the day because um, fans could write in a little bit of um, fan fiction, things like that. Um, but that that's it, really. Okay. So you've given us the premise of the universe itself. Now, what is the premise of your story within that universe? Okay, so Burning Roads is the first book of the Dead Man's Run series. Um, the overall universe that we're playing in with Three Ravens is uh, Car Warriors, the Autodule Chronicles, and that's in the encompassing everything. But this sub-series is the Dead Man's Run. It's basically a cannonball run from a home city to Sturgis, where you're having to do challenges and all that along the way. Um, you basically get, what, nine days, ten days to get from your home turf to Sturgis to do the final challenge. Um, so there's three, four, five of us actively working on the Dead Man's Run series right now. And uh, we're each writing trilogies. So each book is basically going to be a three-day stretch. Um, okay. And it's just to dive into the universe, see how things are operating, uh, get an idea of the arena battles, you know, just really start immersing people into the universe, whether they're a fan of the old original game or they're just a, a, a fan of speculative fiction, near-future fiction type stuff. It's got post-APOC elements. It's got a little bit of cyberpunk. You got, you know, you can get a full clone made of yourself and get a reboot if you die. But, you know, you, there's limitations where you can't have implants and stuff like that. So it it's a strange universe. But, but are you really point. you at that point? You know, that, that stuff that we're already looking at, I'm like, I don't know. We'll have to play with those elements. Um, <clears throat> beyond that, we have other authors that are, playing with their own little sub-series. Um, we actually got three or four, I think, that are doing their own sub-series. And I got one that I'm going to jump on probably after the fact. Uh, Dave Hensley's got another one he's going to do. Um, what was it? Um, mine is up for pre-order right now. It drops this Friday. Um Dave Hensley's is in-house in editing now. We'll be getting that through the process. And the goal is to have that published by the end of September. Um, and there's an anthology in work right now, too. Uh, got, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to jinx it until we got all the stories in, but you've got a couple of big names in there that might be surprising. They're, they still surprise the shit out of me, so... Um, and I'm trying to wrap up this Kickstarter and get this thing set up for the Car Wars universe just to help us get a little bit of better cover art and keep things rolling. You know, I'm trying to set up to where we can get some extra swag for the fans, uh, probably do some challenge coins. I'm doing Kickstarter only shirts and other merch that, that's, you know, just for the fan base. Um, and then, like I said, one, one thing we're absolutely trying to do with the series is go back and do some fan service with all that 
that content that's there for us to pull from. So we've been diving in and, and pulling this and pulling that, you know, uh, my characters end up in Midville, which was one of the big modules. Well, Crash City was one of the big modules back in the day for Car Wars. Um, there was actually, I think, three or four modules altogether that focused on the city of Midville. Um, so, you know, just trying to touch as many, many bases there as possible to pull nostalgia and just do it right. So were you a fan of the game before you got the rights to this property at Three Ravens? Yes and no. Um, a recent fan. I had only been playing it for a few months, honestly. I played the mini version back in the 80s, I think it was. Um, but I was really a Battletech guy. I, I didn't know about Car Wars when I really started getting into gaming and until just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I... It, as I started reading through and looking at the, the content and all that, I'm like, this is Battletech. What the hell? And, and um, Battletech actually came out after Car Wars. Um, but, you know, instead of car combat, you got mechs. That's right. really the only difference. But the, the systems were sort of similar. Um, you're still having to track things like your speed and all that, apply pilot rating or well, driver rating, gunner ratings. So it, it's a similar system. Um, but if you like tabletop strategy combat, definitely a way to go. Okay. So before we get uh, started about your specific story, like what would be the age range for, for Burning Roads and uh, and then the larger universe? Um, I'd say mid-teens up. I mean, really kind of depends on the parents, but... We're kind of loosey-goosey with our kids. We, we teach them a lot that most people be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? It's like, what? They know things. They're ready for life. Um, we raise crew chiefs. They're ready for shit. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, mid-teens up. I mean, there's a little bit of language. There's really no adult situations other than there's guns and things blow up and people do die. So... I guess it would be harder to it would be harder to judge the game part of it because that's so table specific. Yeah. That that it would be very difficult to say, oh, this game is rated whatever, other than the violence and stuff because of that. And and the art. Sometimes the old stuff, the art was pretty raunchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like eighties TSR. Hello. Um That'll have you blushing in front of your mom, but uh, but yeah. So I think I think that's probably harder to say. But your story specifically, burning roads, is you know you said violence and yeah, um, violence, language, violence. but no sex. No, no sex, violence, language. Uh, that's really about it. Okay, well, the next part of this interview is my favorite part, where we get to look at this cover art. So give me a second to throw that up on the screen, because um, this is. This is some sexy imagery right here. So, so what's the story behind this? This that reminds me. Painting. I, need, I need to send that to Seska because um, we might have uh, somebody dressing up. If I can get them into the uh, page to stage. Um, well, that is Ricky and Dave, and then you see Buster sitting there in the back. Oh wait, 
Hold on, I got I got stuff buster back here. A friend of mine actually knitted Buster. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna put you on solo layout so you can show it. Oh, nice. Oh, some stuffing starting to come out. Um, friend of ours did that. Uh, my brother-in-law and his wife live lived downstairs, um, and they had a dog named Buster. Well, he well after Pat passed away, Sandy moved back to Ohio. She couldn't take take Buster with her, and he was here and. He just, he didn't get along with the grandbabies. He nipped. He was a grumpy old man. So we found him a good home and all that. And for whatever reason, the, the, the God awful, ugly little goober stuck in my head. And I ended up writing him into the story as like the mascot. So I got a stuffed buster now that we're going to have on the table at Liberty con just cause. Nice. I'm, I'm partial to the cover just because, you know, my, my job in Iraq was I ran gun trucks. So I uh, did route security. Uh, they stopped calling us gun trucks at a certain point because that was too martial and scary and warlike. So they started calling us convoy escort platforms. So it got to be the joke of is in the infantry in Iraq after the, the initial invasion was over, you were either hooking or cooking because you were either convoy escort, escort being the operative word, or you were working at a mess hall somewhere. <laughs> um, and so like, I'm partial to like, like you said, the, I think I coined the cooking or hooking, but if, if somebody else thought of it first, you know, I mean, it was kind of on the nose for, for what you did at the grunt, right? You either gate guard work in the mess hall or you were running route security yep. Um, yep. after a while. But, uh, so, so stories that involve like combat and vehicles, like th those can be both triggering and have a special place because I, I did it in real life. And it's definitely a different way of thinking about it. You have split seconds to make decisions because then you pass them. Uh, shooting on the move is a lot more difficult than you know hitting a stable target at the range. Yep. Or even a pop-up target, you know, for for us army types. No. Um, so yeah, do you cover that kind of stuff in it, or is it more about just the need for speed? Oh, it's all of it. You're 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 bobbing and weaving. You're trying to hit the targets. You know, if, if your gunner goes down, what are you going to do as a driver? What what equipment are you? you able to access and it all depends on how the setup in the vehicle is too. And that, that's something yeah. that I addressed in there where, um, you know, different arena battles, the rig is set up differently. So you, you have to, or you only have access to certain weapons where the gunners got access to all this other stuff back here. Uh, and Sally, which is the car right there. Um, Ricky really doesn't have access to a lot except for those Ford machine guns that are up on the hood. Everything right. else basically, well, no, no, I take it back. Ricky controls the side rockets, but um, Dave controls everything else from the, the rear seat gunner's position. Nice. So yeah, it's, it's, um, well, if you got to, Swivel mount on the on the for the gunner on the rear, you can you can get 360, but the uh, the ones on the hood are going to be you know where points the car points the guns. Yep. Um, now are those rockets smart smart tech or are they just dumb sort of? Nope, they're dumb. Well, now later on he gets a little upgrade, but um, to start with, the, they're dumb dumb tech. So um, basically, a bazooka or a law uh, AT4 kind of thing. Yeah, more or less. Point and click. Yeah. Um, so as you see it, it shoots. Yeah. And, and see, I had to adhere to build rules 
for sixth edition and i've already had requests for hey what what's the build on this car christ so irene's going to help me to make sure to give build specs so anybody wanting to play with sally though they'll, they'll have that um would that be included but, in the books or would that be bonus content on your website um right now it's not included in anything because i don't have it but uh, as soon as i have it then i'll figure out what to do it, it might be part of the kickstarter too um, cool cool um but as the the story progressed uh one, one of the rules that steve had put in there it's like okay you got to adhere to the build rules okay cool but after that after you leave the line whatever's fair game so if you have to switch out vehicles in route you have to switch out vehicles you grab and do and you know these guys are scavenging for whatever they can get a hold of ammo weapon wise there's a, there's a wizard in the hallway with a jar over it so be careful on that corner random Okay. There's just a lizard. I put a jar. Just be careful. Oh, okay. Random. All right. Got a lizard in the hallway. Um. <laughs> he wants to ride Sally too. Apparently. Wow, that sounded bad. <laughs> you set that up on purpose. I know you named it a girl's name just so you could have those those slip ups. Um, um. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So, so as they're traveling along, they upgrade. Um. You know, they get it. Whatever they can get. And they mount to it. Dave, he's he's a mechanic. He's a junkyard mechanic. And he's like, okay, cool. Rip this off, rip this off, stick it on there, mount it up. We're good. Um, and he just jury rigged shit, you know, repairs with doing ABDR repairs in the field. Um so what would your specific story? So um so burning roads, what would the 30-second elevator pitch for that be? Um, well. Did you you can't play a video link, can you? Uh, no, I'd have to have downloaded and upgraded. I can um, I can add it the link for the YouTube in um, the show notes. What's your uh, email? Um, it's just JR Hanley at jrhanleyinc.com. But um, but yeah, it's the um, uh, we'll link to that. Um, 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 but yeah, it's it's definitely got potential. Now, are you gonna be doing more um, game content with your licensing? Game content. What do you mean? Um, so you've got the license to write in the universe. Are you gonna be putting out more GURPS game content in this world, like supplements to the system? Oh, um, I won't be. Unless I just feel froggy and want to write something, I guess, and like pitch it to Steve and see what he thinks. But uh, now that that's not part of the contract. We're just doing the fiction. Okay. Um. So we'll uh, we'll link the video and we'll show it, and then if it uh, if it works, I can add it into the rotation as a sponsor. Um. Oh, I'm sending the video to you now. Okay. So while you do that, like, what was the inspiration for the base of your car? So, so what did Sally start as? Um, actually, she kind of started as a conglomerate. Um, you know, I love my classic cars, and this was going to be a junkyard queen. So she was going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. And um, I went through I. I, I pulled a bunch of different images down of Camaros and Chevelles, Novas, 
Trans Ams, uh, Chargers, things like that. And I ran it through Mid Journey on my own and come up with a couple of different things. Well, that's the kind of stuff that I supplied over to the, the cover artist. Like, hey, here's what I want. Here's some of the combinations I did. You know, it, it's basically a hodgepodge junkyard supercar that's been jacked up and put on four-wheel drive. Well, he did pretty good. I mean, you can you can absolutely see some elements of Camaro there. You can see some elements of like a, a Charger or a Challenger rear end. Um, uh, I was really pleased when it came in. Okay. Well, I'm downloading that file as we speak. Um, and we'll show that. So are you ever going to, you think, build it yourself just for a replica for, for events and stuff? Well, see, you know, I, I happen to be a design engineer and I have access to SolidWorks. So I'm going to go ahead and model it up. And there's potential that we might be able to have it for games. And just have to see how it turns out and if Steve and his people like it. Oh, yeah, they would have to probably approve it. What does he think of the idea of actually making one of the cars? Oh, he was liking the idea. I mean, that's one of the things is the author that's so cool is when you create these things to see somebody build it. Like uh, I had someone make one of the, the buckets, the helmets from one of the books I wrote for the, yeah. for the combat yeah. armor. Like that kind of stuff, the tangible representations of what was just in your head is so amazing. I... I Going scale to build a car? Now that's that's something new, but well, now see, I'll I'll end up doing Sally. Um, I'll probably do <laughs> phrasing. Shut up. I'll, I'll probably do uh, Queen Tastic's Battle Bus and the Black Skulls um, luxury car, uh, just because they're they're the most known within the storyline. Um, okay, so I'm going to show the promo real quick because it just got uploaded. So we're going to show that and then we'll come back and keep talking. Okay. Atlanta cabbie by day, amateur auto duelist by night. Ricky Turner is living the dream. That is, until he wakes up in a Gold Cross facility to discover his last match was more than a failure. It was a fatality. Indebted for the cost of the clone body and reboot, Ricky heads back to the arena to do the one thing he knows how to do. Drive offensively. But at the rate amateur matches pay out, it'll take several lifetimes to pay his debt. Luckily, the AADA has announced a new nationwide road rally designed to challenge even the hardiest of auto-dueling teams. Dead Man's Run. Can Ricky and his clandestine crew traverse the wasteland from Atlanta to Sturgis, survive against packs of cannibals, roving biker gangs, and amateur auto duelists out to make a name for themselves? Welcome to the world of the Car Warriors Auto Duel Chronicles. Tales from the freeways of the future, where the right-of-way goes to the biggest guns and death sports rule the airwaves. From clandestine highway battles to primetime arena combat, Jump behind the wheel, follow the fast-paced action, and never forget to drive offensively. Burning Roads, Dead Man's Run, Book One by William Joseph Roberts, narrated by Joshua Saxon, available from Three Ravens Publishing on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. You like that? So, uh, 
Yeah, I like that. Mr. Saxon did an amazing job. Um, funny, he would have his last name be Saxon because I've been watching the uh, the Saxon series, which was made into the Last Kingdom. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Netflix, the Cornwall Cornwall uh, series. Uh, so anyway, weird weird tangent. Um, I dig the uh, the art that you threw in there. Um, that was that was good. I really like it. Well, so uh, that's that's the two. Well, you know the uh, Audible Chronicles series logo and then the one for dead man's run which you know that's that's some of the stuff i'm going to throw up as merch for the kickstarter and that way the fans can get stuff is there going to be a dedicated website for the uh, car wars universe that you're going to be then doing with your your books and all the merch and stuff uh, it'll all be through three ravens um that, okay. that i sent you a link earlier for yeah the the car warriors auto do chronicles yeah, it's in the show notes. I was just curious if you're going to do a dedicated page just for this. No. Uh, I'm going to keep everything just straight on Three Ravens. It makes it easier because I'm the one doing most of it. Fair. Simple is good. Um, well, hopefully this takes on a life of its own so that way it, it warrants the expense of doing its own website. But until then, and, and you hire someone so you can sleep because, you know, sometimes that yeah. helps. Yeah, eventually I need to sleep. Maybe. I need more coffee right now, though. <sighs> Yeah, you know, pour a little Red Bull instead of water. You'll be okay. It'll give you wings. Um, okay, so what can you tell us about the main characters in this story? Um, well, Ricky, he's just an average Joe, man. He 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 drives taxi. He started out playing in the arena because his dad's debt, you know, medical debts. Well, and then he realized that he's good at what he does, and... He just likes being behind the wheel. Um, then he kind of gets screwed over by his lawyer who um, puts him into debt. And uh, he's he's back out there. That's why he's back in the arena again um, doing the dead man's run, which is a whole lot harder than just a regular arena battle because now he's trying to get out from under this contract with his lawyer that, you know, if he'd had just read the fine print, he'd have been okay. Um, that's how they get you every time, you know, but, but Ricky just, he's a, just an average good old boy that is learning what the world is really like out there. Cause he's, he's not left Atlanta. Dave, on the other hand, he's, he's a bit of a grumpy curmudgeon. Um, he's really kind of a psychopath, but Ricky's like that little brother that he's protected, you know? So. Um, you see Psycho Dave, and then you see the warm-hearted Dave pop out here and there. And he's just he's he's the true epiphany or uh, epitome of uh, chaotic neutral. Yeah. Um, and Dave's just really out for the experience, out for the adventure, something different. He's not stuck turning wrenches back at the garage. Uh, they're they're the main characters, and then you've got a couple of uh, announcers that are constantly popping up here and there, and you start to get get annoyed by them. But they're they're that comforting startup in some of the chapters. Um, and then you you've got Team Queen Tastic and the Black Skulls. You start getting to know them a little bit, and and where they're coming from and their background, and um, it. it 
I'm thinking they're going to be some long-term characters. I'm going to be, I'm going to be hard pressed to, to kill off a couple of these characters that I'm getting into now. Um, I've already killed off a whole slew. There's a lot of people die. There, there's a big body count. Um, but there, there's a few of those that I'm just really reluctant to get rid of because I'm liking them. They're they're good characters. They're they're three dimensional and they've got a lot of depth to them. You know. So you're not going to go all George R. R. Martin and make people care about the characters just to kill them? No. If I kill them, it's going to be for a damn good reason. But okay. like I said before, I like to main my characters. I don't like to collect character sheets. Okay. So given all the bad things you do to your characters, if you met them in a back alley, how, how do you come out of that? Do you die? Do you get maimed? Lose a leg? Limb? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. Just mind my own business, I'll be okay. If I done pissed them off, I'm probably going to get hurt bad. Okay. So what genres would this be in? Because you, you mentioned post-apocalypse is one of your favorites. So I'm, obviously this is a post-apocalyptic world, but yeah, it's, like it's that can encompass a lot of things. It's sci-fi, speculative sci-fi, um, game lit for sure, media tie-in. Oh. What makes it? I know what media tie in that one's obvious, but what makes it game lit? Because you're listing stat blocks throughout the story. No, no. Okay, so lit RPG is when you've got stat blocks. Okay. Game lit is when you're playing in a universe, and you know you're just you're writing stories within that universe. Um, you know, we did that Starflight anthology uh, year before last, and we were playing within the video game universe. But how but is that different? No stats. It was just so. How was, is that? How is that different than the media tie-in? Then, well, no, that is because of that. It is a media tie-in. So the fact that it's the game lit part means that it's specifically tied to a game in addition to being a media tie-in. Yeah. Okay. Those terms are so nebulous. Sometimes you got to define the terms, understand what everyone's saying. Yep. Yeah. Um, so. Let's see. This this also it falls. What well, was it? The the genetic. Oh crap! What was that category? Genetic um, modification or genetic engineering? I think is the yeah. Be. Genetic engineering, science fiction. Um, it falls into that. It's actually one of the categories it's up on right now. I need to look at. It. I hadn't looked at it in a couple of days. To see where my pre order numbers are. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. I think it. it it still falls into action adventure, but it's not quite full blown old school men's action adventure type stuff. Um, so it, it's it's across it's across a, a wide range again, but I like a lot of different things. So yeah, you know why not? It's still a good story. What's the old saying? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or the other other military favorite is, but did you die? And is the answer is no. Eh, it could have been that bad. Well, now I got book two to knock out. That one's going to get some dark, deep, deep, deep down shit. Um, <laughs> we're going to really hurt him. Dark. Okay. So, what do you think it makes this series, um, the Auto Duel Chronicles, and the Burning Roads? Or Dead Man's Run. Like, what do you think makes all of this, what you're doing in this universe, special? 
It's something different. I mean, I can't think of any series that's based around car combat. So if you're a gearhead and you like those action scenes with vehicles racing along, shooting them up, then that's one bonus. Um, well, you know, we, we also pull in action thriller, I guess, a little bit of that, too. Okay. Do, do you lean on any of the tropes? Like... Uh, no, just in general, the you know the if, for instance, the cheat sheet that everyone uses is the uh, movietropes.com. Uh, but like uh, the everyman is one of them. Do, do you worry about that when you write? I tend to just write, and if tropes are in there, it's purely coincidental. Yeah, Some I people just, are very intentional. I just write, and if something lands in there, it lands in there. Sometimes it's like, ooh, well, you know, I, I do little little Easter egg things. Like, well, we got Dave and Buster that just kind of happened. So. Okay, so I'm one of the, like, when I do my writing, mostly, like, I think I get the benefit, much like you, because we've talked offline, I read so much that you tend to sometimes subconsciously internalize certain things, mm -hmm. so, like, pacing happens, because if you read a lot, it just starts to make sense, yeah. like, you know, certain things got to happen by a certain point in the story, I think tropes can be like that, because they're just, you know, some of the common character archetypes and, and you know, plot points that people expect you to do and then show it differently. Like all of that, I think plays in. Um, but it's that old, that old question, supposedly the Robert Frost poem uh, took a walked in the, the path less traveled, whatever. Mm. And he's talking about taking a walk in a snowy day and, you know, he's following the trail of everyone else's footprints and he decides to veer left or whatever. Like, you know, then they ask him about it later. If it was a deeper meaning in life. He was like, no, I really was just writing about walking in the woods after a snow and I decided to walk on the fresh snow and that was it. And so I think sometimes, you know, tropes are like that. You can assign them um, after the fact without necessarily the, the author intending it to be so. Because mm -hmm. uh, readers bring their own experiences to the projects as well. Much like you as the writer, when you're, when you're writing your, your own life fits in, the readers do the same thing when they're consuming. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think, I think that plays in. Well, and that's, that's another reason why I try to pull as much realism as possible, just because it might touch on a memory or an emotional thing or something like that and just pull the reader in just, just a little bit more, you know? So you, you mentioned your main character. Were there any secondary characters you were especially memorable for you? Well, Dave, but that's just because Dave's actually Tuckerized. He's based on a buddy of mine. Um, we, we served together in the air force. Uh, we were stationed together over in Okinawa in the uh, 67th fighter, fighter squadron. Um, and just, eh, yeah, decided to toss him in there cause he's that grumpy old curmudgeon, but he gets shit done too. Okay. So are there, you mentioned junkyard mechanic. Is there actual junkyards of these, these, um, former road combat vehicles that, that, get destroyed that people then will in some of the scenes go and raid for parts. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, you, you still got everyday cars, you know, family cars, this and that. Some are armed, some aren't. Um, most people stay within the mega cities and really the only thing you got traveling back and forth between the cities are like caravans and all that. So you have guard vehicles or tractor trailers. 
um, going from city to city. But you're still going to have junkyards, whether it's a civilian piece, a military piece. You know, you buy an old aircraft because, hey, well, that's worth some scrap metal. So we'll go ahead and buy that and throw it in here and people can part it out. And when I'm ready to scrap it, I'll scrap it. Um, but uh, Dave had put put Sally together out of what he salvaged out of the junkyard before it went to the crusher. Okay. So it really is a hodgepodge of vehicles. Do you, when you designed it, did you think I'm definitely pulling a little bit of this car and a little bit of that, or did it just sort of happen? And then you retro explained it later. Cause obviously this is the future. So there could be cars involved that haven't been invented or designed yet. Right. And, right. um, I honestly started by just kind of, like I said, I, I got a bunch of different images together of cars that I'd found with a similar angle. Right. And I uh, ran it through mid journey just to see what it would come up with as a conglomerate to pull different elements. And, uh, okay. you know, I took those images I ran and I sent that to the cover artist. Like here, play with this. So thematically, you know, when you watch it on TV or your own memories, when people think driving, they also think of what's on the radio. Because that's as much a part of the driving experience, especially for Americans who have a very much a driving culture. Yeah. Do you factor that in when either you're writing or in the story, talk about them listening to music while they're doing this? Or is it too tense for that? Um, I didn't. But they've got all this other stuff going on. They've got the, um, the clutch stream, uh, kind of equivalent to a Twitch stream going on that they're talking right. to and responding with. Um chatter back and forth on the radios with the other pack members because you have a pack that's leaving from Atlanta that consists of 12 vehicles and each car is made up of two members you know so they they end up getting little down after a while but uh between all the pack members they're they're chattering back and forth on the radios with each other uh, okay does um like GPS and computer tech exist yes so do they have something like uh, when I was in the army, we had what they called the blue force tracker, which was basically like texting and map overlays. And I could see where my friendly vehicles were on various roads. That kind of stuff is involved. It is, uh, but it just depends on the setup. I mean, I didn't use too much of that. We, we have GPS, we have the, um, the, the system that I put in there, it's ran off of ADA, which is basically like, you know, Hey Siri, well, instead it's ADA. Um, Everyone who actually has one of those um, devices that he just mentioned, we're apologizing when you're listening if it acts up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, what Dave installed in Sally was a very limited version. Um, one of the units that, like, in the short story that Benjamin Tyler Smith wrote for the Antho, his character system is a lot more high-tech. There's a lot more right. going on, including a, a virtual avatar over top of the character's race suit. Um, so it, it all depends on the team and the gear that they got. Okay. So it, because you mentioned it's tied to the game, do you have the, like, the vehicle progression where, you know, as he does well, assuming he does well and lives, where he's able to upgrade it? So there's that sort of upgrade the equipment along with the reader, like you get to experience the growth? 
Um, I'm not sure how we're going to do that part, but me and Irene have been talking about that a little bit. So it's a possibility. Okay. It's uh, it's still cool. Um, now, is the game, because I haven't played it, is this one of the tabletops that's theater of the mind, or does it come with like the miniatures for tabletop combat? Oh, no, it's got miniatures and everything. Um, so you get the big so box that, set. I mean, it's it's packed full. It was, it's a, da, da, da. There's like 10 or 12 cars in it. Um, I forgot what all kind of gear. There, there's a whole slew of cards and addition or additional gear and everything else when you get the big box set. So is that something you think you're going to get the STL file that you might sell the design for Sally, the uh, vehicle? Um, well, I won't sell it, but I don't know what Steve and his people might do if I can get it drawn up well enough and send it to him. Um, okay. Okay. So he owns the, that makes sense. He still owns the gaming rights. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. this, this is all owned by Steve Jackson games. That, that's, that's the one thing with the project is whatever we create, it's, owned by steve jackson games so that's the one caveat but you know we're getting to play in car wars so it's okay yeah uh well obviously you mentioned this is part of a series so what can we expect both from the dead man's run series and then the other auto duel chronicles that's just the universe right car warriors auto duel chronicles that's yeah the that, universe that's the all. universe um okay well lots of car combat lots of action uh, we're going to see a lot of different character archetypes. We got one that's more or less the gumshoe type, who's actually an insurance investigator. Um, my side tangent, I've actually got the good old boys. I, I, I'm playing Dukes of Hazard with my side tangent. Um, we got another guy that's basically a smuggler that's coming through the Southwest. And we're, we're playing with a lot of different stuff. Um, the, the goal right now is to have four of the the core dead man's run dropping a year so one a quarter and as the side tangents come up of an, and available we slide them in where we can okay now some post apoc can get really dark i mean we're talking human trafficking you know mm -hmm. death games and like the roman arenas do you have any of that in this universe oh, or do you keep a death game but Carl is it too or the, the auto duels is a death game. Okay. I mean, and it depends on how the match is set up, whether it's a fatal or a non-fatal type match. Um, it's all the rules of engagement because you can get penalized for actually targeting the team members. If you're only supposed to be disabling a car. So if they're doing this on the road, because you're not doing it in the city in a traditional arena like people think the gladiator games. They're, they're, the gladiator combat's happening on the road. How are the people back home watching or consuming it? Do you cover that? Oh, yeah. Um, cameras all in the vehicle, on the vehicle, drones, helicopters, you know, you name it, the coverage is there. Okay. Um, so are satellites still up and working then? Yep. Okay. So do you cover what changes to create this post-apoc world? some where we touch on it here and there um hopefully the other authors are going to hit their different areas of the country like i said my guys are coming out of atlanta heading to sturgis uh so we're going to be covering different areas most of tennessee is like the was it the unlawful lands um or lawless lands 
So there, there's a lot of trouble going on across Tennessee. Nashville's basically gone. Um, but we, we skirt up on 75 up to Knoxville and then up and out. Uh, All right, but did the distillery survive? Possibly. Don't know. I mean, Chris that's important Wood, for Chris you. Woods and, um, well, yeah, Chris Woods, is, his, his entire first book is taking place through Tennessee. So he's going from Knoxville to Memphis. Um, Dave Hensley is coming out of Virginia and going around to Memphis on a southern route. Um, ben is coming out of California with his characters. Mike Morton is coming out of Colorado, I think, and working his way around. Um, I don't remember what the other where the others are starting out at, but they're they're all across the country. So we're going to get different perspectives and get to see different parts of the country in this setting. Do you cover what's happening in the rest of the world? Some there'll be mentions and and you know cross ties like it's in some of the short stories we tie back to what I had going on in in Burning Roads. Um, or there's little Easter eggs and burning roads that tie back to some of the stuff in the short stories. But as we progress through the novels, then we'll be doing more, um, connections. But presumably what's made America change, um, has happened to everyone else too. Yes. Um, basically it's the, it's the U S uh, we're not worried about anything overseas because it's just not there as far as, the U.S. cities are concerned. Okay. Well, there's room for growth and expansion and, you know, some cool scenery, castles you could drive by, that kind of thing. Yep. All right, all right. So was there anything about this universe that we didn't ask that you want to tell us? Because, you know, we've been we've been prattling for almost, you know, an hour and 40 minutes now. Oh, wow. I didn't realize we've been on here that long. Yeah, I've been having fun. Um, I think we pretty well covered it. I mean... This is straight up. It, it's an action piece. It gets a little emotional in points. I mean, it, my character, he's he's kind of naive of how the world is. The main character, Ricky, so he's learning a lot as he's going and seeing a lot of life. Um, Was it by chapter eight? He has a major growth point that he's really got to start considering. So. Given the hellacious nature of this combat on the roads and everything that's going on, if you could, would you live in this world? That's a toss-up. If I was not living in a mega city, yeah, probably, because then it's uh, get off my land and go away. I got hogs. I'll make you disappear. <laughs> okay. Uh, my answer is always yes if I have plot armor. No matter what, the, unless it's Warhammer 40k, that's just ludicrous level. It's like uh, uh, Spaceballs level comedic violence. Yeah. So that would be a pass. But most other universes, if I could have some plot armor, I'm good. Because plot armor can save you from everything. Well, it could keep you alive, but that might not keep you your limbs in a, in a William Joseph Roberts world. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I would have to get some, some lawyers to make the contract just right. If I was going to live in that world. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, now, the um, the game itself has been re-released. Uh, I saw that recently. I've linked to Steve Jackson's game website for, for the Car Wars, so if you guys want to check it out. Um, we've linked to all of the stuff that uh, Three Ravens is putting together 
in their uh, expansion of the world. So if that's something you're interested in, dear listener, dear viewer, go ahead and check the show notes and click the links. Um, but as this is winding down, was there anything else you want to tell us as uh, audiobooks coming out, that sort of thing? Um, well, audio on this is in work already. Um, other than that, you know, we're going wide with a few things. The, this is one of the very first we're going wide with on ebook and audio. Um, just because I don't want to put all my eggs in one, one basket anymore. Um, Fair. A lot of authors are considering that at this point. And, um, well, I guess I can plug other stuff. And something special that you're going to get to see at the LibertyCon table, if you come to LibertyCon, um, is... See that? Well, Go ahead. We, re we repub this for Mr. Silverberg, and he sent me a couple other things that he wants to have put back out to the world, and uh, I'm more than happy to help him put his books back in real book form, as he says. Um, so this is turning out to be an interesting year. Okay. That sounds intriguing. Um, all of that will be available through three ravings publishing.com. If you want to know more, yep. Ooh, swallowed that wrong. Uh, I had to take my medicine because of the time we're recording this. <laughs> and then you started talking and I'm like, Oh shit, swallow real quick. So I can answer. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> yep. Um, get blown up a few times. Um, and it just gets, it gets wonky. Um, who knew it was bad for your health, <laughs> but uh, that's why I really liked it. When you pitched this to me, when you started talking about this universe, because like one way you clear a road because like vehicle borne IEDs were a threat. Uh, so you protect your convoy by ramming them off the road. So basically I was a human pinball playing bumper cars for real with guns in Iraq for two years. So that's basically, I was doing the dead man's run. It sounds like you're, you're going to enjoy this book then or have flashbacks and end up in a psych ward with the, I love me that, jacket. That's possible too. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Doc will kill me. Yes, uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. She might be so stressed out she forgets we exist because moving is a pain in the butt, and doing it by yourself even worse. Well, I'll see her next weekend at Liberty Con. Get her liquored up. She 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 could use a break. <laughs> Give her some of your mead. Exactly. All right. So, dear listener, before we let you go, I'd like to harken back to our weekly reminder to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part, people. It really does help uh, raise them in the algorithms and get the word out. So with that being said, you said you're going wide. Are these books also going to be sold at Steve Jackson Workshop uh, website? Uh, the eBooks are going to be available on Steve Jackson Games uh, through his uh, Warehouse 23. Okay. I almost said Warehouse 13, but that's not it. I oh, know. I keep um, trying to do that, too. So some of the books, um, Drive Through RPG has a sister site. I can't remember what it is, but for books to tie into games, are you going to be there as well? Uh, Drive Through Books, I think it is. It. I, I don't, I've not heard of that. Yeah, because um, if you're doing like, you know, some of the stat blocks and stuff, even if it's just for your own vehicles, you could put that stuff out there on those sites too and let the uh, the hardcore gamers know, hey, this this is here. Come check it out. What was the name of it? Uh, drive through books, I believe. I'll get it to you in the after show, and uh, and you can you can check it out. But we don't want to bore our, our readers that are listening to us. So, uh, how can listeners find you? And as usual, it'll all be in the show notes. But but how can they find the one, the only, Mister William Joseph Roberts? 
Well, you can hunt me down at williamjosephroberts.com or threeravenspublishing.com or look on the Dear God 20 plus social media pages that I'm on. So you just don't sleep. We've established no. this. Yeah, I, no. Yeah, I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at that too because you know, with all of the restrictions that uh, YouTube is putting on, they're driving some of, and we, we won't go political here, people, but some of their censor policies are driving away some of our audience. And so we started looking about like, what would it mean to go to Rumble and bit shoot? And do I really want to start again? Because we're on season three. That's a lot of episodes. This is episode 260. That's 260 episodes I would have to upload to those other <laughs> platforms. Oh, I'm like, can I hire a minion to do that? Do I have that much money? Probably not. Yeah, that... that <laughs> Wow. Well, that's where you just host them yourself if you can and then link to them. Yeah, I think I think there's a way, supposedly there's a way, at least with Rumble, to mirror it where it'll pull all your, your YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I've got to look into all that. It's It's been on the back burner for a while, but as the, uh, the silly season approaches with life, um, I think, you know, giving people a, a political place to hang out, have fun, and just enjoy life. Yeah, um, I think that has value, so I'm going to probably make the effort to take some time to do it. So, all right. You can find us, dear listener, on our Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help support the show and keep the lights on. These episodes aren't free to produce. There is some overhead for the hosting sites, and every penny you donate is uh, going towards the cause, and we really appreciate it. Uh, or you could support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their eyes explode and their liver calls to surrender. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not possible for a grunt, but you never know. Medics might be a different breed. Um, I tried to avoid them wherever possible because they always wanted to give you shots and tell you to change your socks. Well, they're not Maybe wrong, except for the shot part. Yeah, but, you know, they like to give you the two-liter tune-up, the saline drip. Um, I think they just like sticking us. Like, let me stab a needle into him. I went to school for this. Might as well use it. You know it's true. Yeah, but they're, they're the ones you want to have friends with them or be friends with them because, you know, after a weekend of pub crawling um they can do the resurrection tent for you yeah i, I might have made staff sergeant and not have been a corporal three times if i had had used that advice back in the day instead i just you know got the privilege of being a private again because i was so good at it <laughs> <laughs> you know you, I, you've seen the um the, what's that the leper colony the the bomber squadron in world war ii the black and white movie uh, the leper colony was a uh, one of the black sheep, maybe I don't know. There was oh, a yeah, whole point. Yeah. Uh, one of the it's basically like the, all the the rejects were sent to this one guy's plane because he pissed somebody off, yeah. and uh, they had the one NCO that kept getting promoted, and then he'd do something to piss the guy off, and they demote him again, and he basically was the Velcro sergeant. Yeah, that was me yeah. as a corporal. 
<laughs> uh, and then they got even when I when I messed up the third time. They're like, you know, we're just gonna make you a sergeant and punish everyone else instead. <laughs> so, all right, jokes aside, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber and Doc Seska. I am Jared Handley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time. Well, we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. If you notice that uh, Friday's episode didn't air and Monday's episode aired on Tuesday, there were some tech issues on the background. We fixed it. So we're just going to push forward instead of releasing a bunch of episodes at once. Uh, but we appreciate your patience, dear listener. Um, and we appreciate you, you being understanding. This episode went long, but this is what happens when I don't have Doc or Nick here to supervise me. I just start talking. It's really their fault for not not supervising us, William. It's not our fault. Nope, it's Doc's fault. Her problem. Definitely Doc. All right, you have a nice one. We appreciate you coming. (laughs) You take it easy, man. I appreciate you having me on.